You may take a seat. Good morning. This morning, I am going to ask you for your help. Because we believe that the Word of God is living and active, and because we're reading Revelation 4 today, I thought I would invite all of you to participate in the reading in distinct ways. So I have invited my good friends up here, Dylan and Alex and Nina, to read portions of the text, but within the text there is singing in which all of us will sing together. So Ben and Megan and his friends back here will go through the first stanza for you and teach it to us, and then we will all join in the singing for the first song. And then there's a second song at the end that he'll go through once, and then all of us will sing together. Do we think we we can do this? Okay. Um, Thank you all for everybody that's been helping with this. We're so grateful. We're also going to be seeing images up on the screen of different artists' interpretations of Revelation 4 um, so that we can see and hear and sing the text together in hopes that it comes alive in a new way. So before we do this, I would like to invite you all to take a breath and to close your eyes. Quietly in your spirit, with your greatest imagination, picture, if you will, that moment when you leave this life and the door of heaven opens. What will it look like? What will it sound like? What will it smell like? What will it feel like? Let your imaginations run wild. Get out of your current reality and move into a whole new world. Lord God, help us to understand your truth through the book of Revelation. Help us to see what you would have us see. Speak to us this morning, we ask, through your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. After this, I looked, and there in heaven a door stood open, and the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what it must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there in heaven stood a throne, with one seated on the throne, and the one seated there looks like Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne is a rainbow that looks like an emerald. Around the throne are 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones are 24 elders, dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads. Coming from the throne are flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne burn seven flaming torches, which are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne, there is something like 
a sea of glass like crystal. Around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with a face like a human face, and the fourth living creature like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and inside. Day and night, without ceasing, they sing. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall before the one who is seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, singing. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. So up until this point, John has been in conversation with these. He's writing about what these angels are looking at and seeing in these churches. When I took Revelation here at Whitworth University, Dr. Terry McGonigal was my professor, and he, I remember he would say, there, there's, you need to think of it like two shows are going on in Revelation. So you open the curtain, and here in those first three chapters, we see these angels interacting with these churches. And each time they're saying, I know your works. I have seen these things. I have seen when you've been patient and endurance. I've seen when you've worshipped other gods and when you've been lukewarm in your faith. I've seen when you haven't repented and when you've turned away from God. And every time the angel ends this message to the church, he says, let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And it's as if the curtain closes. And here in chapter 4, we have a curtain opening. And John turns and looks up and it says the door of heaven is suddenly open. And he is moved by this spirit and he's ushered in. And there he sees this heavenly court of colored jewels and clear crystal and gleaming gold and these strange and surreal creatures and this singing, this congregation that's singing and lightning flashing and torchlights illumine the scene and there are these elders that are sitting on this throne and they all have these crowns on their heads. Is this like the heaven you envisioned in your own mind? Does this image have what you think might be there in your idea of heaven? I don't know about you, but heaven for me is hard to see. I think I make heaven much, much too small. For whatever reason, I have this idea that there's dogs running everywhere crazy in heaven. I have this image of these endless golf courses for some reason. I think because of my father and his love for golf and baseball fields and beaches just everywhere, endless stretches of beaches. It's like my image of heaven is more like Florida <laughs> than heaven. My image of it is much too small. And it's this John is asking us to 
get out of our reality and to move into this whole other place. And the voice of Jesus opens the door and Jesus invites him in. This inexplicable life of Jesus has the power to open the door of heaven. And my friends, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, if you believe that he is the Messiah, if you believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, then you must then believe in heaven. For he says, the Bible tells us that he is a man that has come from heaven and he has the power to open its door. And what do we find there? John enters in, and what is there? What does he see? He sees worship. It is not endless beaches. It is worship. It's the ultimate purpose and the essence of our life that there's this central focus on worship. Everything is worshiping. There are these 24 elders, which probably represent the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel, the Old and New Testament coming together. And these bizarre-looking creatures, they probably represent all living creatures of the land and the air and the human creatures. Everything is surrounding this throne and is worshiping. Psalm 19 says, The heavens are telling the glory of God and the skies proclaim his craftsmanship. This is an invitation to look at the beauty of the world, the snow-capped peaks, the stars in the sky, the bright green fields of our world, these long, glorious seashores, and the animals and the creatures that inhabit the earth. Everything is proclaiming the glory of God. And the psalmist asks, why are they so beautiful? And so much of what the earth is doing is what they were built to do. The eagles are flying. The fish are swimming. The mountains are proclaiming, and they're being exactly who God created them to be. And God is being glorified. They are worshiping. When someone looks at you, can they see your beauty and claim that you are worshiping the living God? This feels a little challenging for me. When has anyone seen me in the fullness of who I'm called to be and the deep essence of my spirit expressing itself in its most healthy way? The best I can come up with is the camp high. Do you remember the camp high? I know so many of you have spent this time at camp. And what happens at camp? We're unplugged. We're in community. We're talking about God every day. We're playing in the sun. We're living into the best of who we are, but we're wrestling with who we are as people back home and our sin and our frustration, our disappointments and our pain. But then we're given this message of grace and mercy and love and there's this relief. And I remember that I got off the bus and I came home and my parents said, you are glowing because I was so radically changed by that week because I had been living in the best of who I was, because I had this connection with the Creator. The fear, the anxiety, the insecurity, all of that had gone away for this brief period of time. 
But yet summer always ends, doesn't it? And we go back to those places. And we get obsessed on how we look or how we come across or how smart we are or how we're doing in athletics. And we stop glowing. And we're no longer like the eagles living into our great purpose, flying through the air. We're no longer submitting to the greatness of our creator. But what Revelation 4 is teaching us is that everything must worship. It's what we are all designed to do. You must worship something. What are you worshiping today? In that, I'm asking, what is it that's consuming your spirit Everybody must worship something. I think about the sports fans. I have one that I live with in my home. I have a very deeply committed sports fan. And by the way, the brackets are out. And my four-year-old and seven-year-old had to fill one out the other night because this is important. (laughs) What do sports fans do? They analyze. They prepare. They dress up. They paint their bodies. They buy foam fingers, right? You analyze every piece of it, and then the game finally comes, and everyone gathers, and what happens if your team wins? Woo! Thank you. Satisfaction. I have submitted myself to this entity that I am banking my purpose and my meaning on. We all worship something. We have to find something bigger in ourselves, bigger than ourselves to invest in in order for us to find who we are. My friends, if we are worshiping the wrong thing, it can destroy us. Because when the team loses, or when your friends betray you, or when the celebrity has a scandal, the singing that we did this morning is this image of these elders that have surrounded the throne, and this they're all singing, you are worthy. God, you alone are worthy of our praise. And there's an old English word, worship. This, where, where we get this word worship actually comes from the word worth-ship. What is it worth to you? And so as we think about worship, it's actually this in an economic term. What is worthy of my time, my energy, my, fo- my focus? And there's this small verse in Matthew When Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 13, he says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field which someone found and hid and then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. So imagine if you will, there's a farmer who has a barn, who has fields, who has animals, who has a nice, lively, thriving crop. And he goes to his wife and he says, you see that? field over there it's barren has nothing on it and she says yeah he said there's something over there that's worth more than what we have now and in his this crazy crazy extreme he sells everything he sells his life his identity his purpose his work he sells it all and he goes to get this field because he believes there's a treasure there that's more valuable than anything else that he has brought into his life, any other God that he has ever worshipped. And he gives up control. And this is, is the hardest part, because nobody wants to give up control. 
but you cannot worship unless you give up control. What is it that you have to have to be happy? What is it that brings you joy? The elders are there and they are singing you are worthy and they have these big gold crowns. These are the apostles and the leaders of the tribes of Israel and they take off their crowns and they cast them into the middle and they say, I no longer need this. I don't need this sense of identity or kingship or queenship. I'm going to give up all control because being in the presence of the living God, being connected to my creator has the only thing that is worth my time. And in that, your life is radically and completely changed because you are no longer a king or a queen, but you are a creature created by the living God, the holy of holies. And in my worship of him, I tell of his beauty and I am satisfied. I found my meaning and my purpose. And in that empty field where we now find ourselves trusting and holding on to this hidden, infinite treasure, the birds are flying above and singing his praise, and the skies proclaim God's glory, and you there in the presence of the living God, you are glowing. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. My friends, my hope for all of us is as we leave this place, we find ourselves deeply connected to the creator and in that we are living into the fullness of who he has created us to be. And in that we glorify and worship him because he is shining upon us, calling us out to live and breathe and be connected to him. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and bring you deep, deep peace. And all of God's people said together in worship of him, amen. Go in peace.